Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for their blogs and also looking to make improvements in their lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Lauren Agresti from protopantry.com, and we will be discussing saving money on legal services without putting your blog at risk. Lauren is an attorney and a food blogger. She started her legal practice as a corporate litigator and eventually quit her job to pursue creative and professional interests. She started a food blog during that time and in the process discovered a huge need for affordable, transparent, accessible legal services for creatives and entrepreneurs. Now she helps small business owners, artists, and bloggers to protect their work, negotiate deals, and run a tight ship, legally speaking. Lauren, you have such an interesting story. I love that you have the unique perspective of being an attorney as well as a food blogger. I think that's so cool. So I am super excited to chat more with you about all of this. But first, take a minute just to give us a fun fact about yourself. Sure. And thank you so much for that introduction. I really appreciate it. Um, So I actually started out uh, food blogging with absolutely no experience in uh, visual art or photography or anything like that. So my fun fact is that I started my creative life uh, in music playing the oboe. Oh, cool. So you've got all the aspects of (laughs) creativity and legal world as well. So that's very cool. I love that. Do you still play the oboe? I do not, unfortunately. I wish I had time. (laughs) Yes, I hear you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, If you don't mind, let's get to our topic, saving money on legal services without putting your blog at risk. I will fully admit to you, Lauren, that I am fairly lacking in knowledge on this topic, so I can't wait to learn from your expertise today. I tend to almost get stuck in the creative realm, and I find it hard to hop over to that side of the brain that processes anything regarding... I don't know, legal or financial issues. Both of those words actually make me cringe slightly. So please (laughs) educate me and our fellow food bloggers on this topic and maybe begin by explaining when we as food bloggers should be consulting with an attorney and what exactly we should be discussing. Of course. So that's to start out, that's super normal. Uh, almost every you know small business owner I meet with, whether or not they're even in the creative space, has a little bit of a brain block, usually when it comes to two areas, mainly when that's legal and accounting, uh, which is why you know I think some of the best advice that you can get as a small business owner, creative entrepreneur is to uh, consult an attorney and an accountant uh, really as, as soon as is financially feasible for you. Um, and the reason is that you want to be working with these professionals, a lawyer, an accountant, a bookkeeper, what have you, before you have a legal problem. Uh, having, for example, having a solid contract in place when you're making a deal, whether you're representing a brand or whether you're uh, selling a physical or digital product is going to prevent you from spending a lot of money, say, litigating a dispute in court once things have already gone sideways. In my opinion, when it comes to financial matters and legal matters, 
it is always best to allow people who know those fields well to advise us. Am I right? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Because like you said, we are not always in that realm. So there are always exceptions, but typically food bloggers just want to create content and may not want to even dive into that legal side of things. So I think that recommendation to seek out quality support is very valuable. Of course. And you want to do what you're good at doing. You know, if you're a food blogger, especially if you've gone full time, you're a professional, you're already making money food blogging, why not, you know, invest a little bit of of money and, and time kind of outsourcing that job that you really don't want to be doing. And it's in some ways, it's an inefficient use of your time to try to be figuring that out yourself. So that's that's the perspective I'm coming from. <laughs> it's like forcing a task that you don't necessarily want to do can I've found that it can block me in creative ways as well. Like if I have to do something that I really am not focused on, it just sends me into a tailspin. So exactly. Yeah. Can you outline some potential disputes food bloggers might have and what sorts of things we should be doing upfront to address those things and that would require us to have a contract or something like that in place? Of course. So a, a few, you know, there every every person's business is a little bit different. Um, so, you know, every type of dispute or, or negotiating process is going to be different depending on how you set up your business. But a few things that um, I've seen uh, pretty frequently in both my, you know, following along in the food blogging world and working in the legal world now for a little while is when you're making a deal with, say, you want to uh, represent a brand on your blog or on your social media, um, you're going to want to be super clear up front in creating a contract or, you know, negotiating that deal in a way that you fully understand and is beneficial for all the different parties involved to avoid a dispute. Perfect example is, Um, say you are, um, doing a post on social media and you signed a contract with a brand and it had certain conditions, uh, laid out in that contract, but say you didn't hire an attorney and you didn't fully read that contract. And now the brand is saying, well, we wanted you to do X, Y, and Z, but that's something that you never wanted to do, or you never would have agreed to do had you realized it. And now, you know, there's a little bit of a problem and, you know, maybe you've already been paid, maybe you haven't been paid yet, maybe the brand is withholding payment, you know, maybe they want their money back or whatever. That's a type of a dispute that can arise. And another um, common dispute is uh, when, and, and I know this happens all the time, is stolen material. People, obviously, on the internet uh, nowadays, unfortunately, it's, it's very common for people to steal pictures or steal content And that can create a situation, um, you know, where you're trying to get someone to take that content down or you're, you know, trying to at least get compensated properly for the use of that content. And, you know, obviously all of most of these disputes in the beginning can be attempted to be resolved uh, via, you know, just a a person to person confrontation or conversation. (laughs) Confrontation. (laughs) avoid Avoid the confrontation. But, you know, eventually a lot of these disputes do arise to a level where uh, you're, you're going to want at least the perspective of someone who understands the legalities. Absolutely. And so I was going to ask you, what do you recommend if someone does not 
have a lawyer to represent them and they want to address stolen content. You mentioned contacting them and just trying to talk it out. But in my experience, that has never worked. It's actually backfired on me a couple of times. Is there something else you recommend beyond that? Or is that pretty much the only thing you can do? So... It is, it is a little bit tricky because obviously my advice is always to consult with an attorney. You know, that's my general advice to everyone. And, and I, I, but I do understand that that's not always financially feasible. I think the most important thing to remember when you're going into that initial conversation with the, say, let's call them the offending party, you know, they're using your content without your permission or um, something like that. The important thing to remember is that that initial couple of conversations are less about getting the result that you want. So, you, you know, you want them to take the content down, let's say, and more about creating a record of the dispute for when you do eventually take the next steps. So, you know, you want to be keeping functionally, I mean, it doesn't really matter how you keep the records, but say you want to be kind of creating a binder, (laughs) if you can envision it that way, of every single attempt you've made to try to resolve this dispute. And that's going to keep really clean records of what's happening so that when you do escalate it to that next step, that's, you know, you'll have all of those records with you. And the next steps are, you know, a little bit buried. Um, You could obviously speak to an attorney and get them to uh, send a cease and desist letter, or um, you could have them attempt to sue if it's something that's, you know, a super important piece of intellectual property to you, and you're actually experiencing you know, significant financial loss from or potential loss from the misuse of this content. If you are on your own, uh, there's a couple of things you can do. A lot of attorneys will provide you something like a cease and desist letter on a one-off basis, and then you can kind of fire those off relatively inexpensively by, you know, maybe the attorney will just, you know, charge you a very small fee to basically sign it every time because it's functionally already written. So like a generic cease and desist letter. Right. A generic cease and desist letter is sort of a more inexpensive uh, route to go. And, you know, there's also always the option of, uh, you know, this option exists. I do do have to say I don't necessarily recommend it, but there is the option of, um, you know, pursuing your options in small claims court and doing your own research on doing that. You know, there's no law against suing someone on your own. It's not illegal. It's just complicated and time consuming. So if that is an option you want to pursue, obviously, I do a lot of research and it's it's not necessarily an ideal option, but it is something that is available to you in our legal system. That is great to know. And I love what you said about, um, obviously, consulting an attorney is ideal, but I do think that a good portion of protecting our blogs and our intellectual property falls on us in the beginning because we can be responsible at least for keeping records and detailing exactly what happens so that we have it later if needed. And I never thought of it like that. I always thought, if I'm going to contact someone about stolen property, it's more of like an angry thing, like take it down now, but it doesn't have to be like that. It's more 
this is what I did. I contacted them and this is what was said. So I like that perspective. How detailed do we need to be with that sort of thing? And how do you recommend keeping the information together? And regarding food blogging, which issues do you recommend documenting? So I recommend documenting every time you think you have an issue that touches on a potential legal problem. And I recommend documenting it absolute, in absolutely as much crystal clear detail as you can. And, and this is why. I would really encourage you to think of each issue you have in the food blogging world like a legal matter, like an attorney would. So when you come to me and you have a problem, I'm going to open up a matter you know, in my, in whatever system that the relevant attorney is using. And what a matter is, is a problem, a dispute, an issue, you know, it it might be even just the drafting of a contract, it might not be a problem yet, but it's a matter. So if you think of it like a matter, what you want to be doing on your end, even before you've consulted an attorney is create basically your own little folder for each matter and have detailed notes of everything that's happening and everything that you've been doing to attempt to resolve it. So, you know, if that's stolen content, you want to put, you know, keep a document with notes. This is the date that I discovered the stolen content. This is, you know, the first time I contacted that person, you know, preferably very politely and, you know, (laughs) no anger. I mean, you can, it's obviously you're naturally going to feel anger, but that might not necessarily be helpful in resolving the, the dispute. So, Absolutely. you know, this is the first time I contacted that person. This is what they said back. And you're saving all the emails down to that folder. And you're creating a really detailed record, almost like you're, you know, think like a detective or something, you know, whatever helps you think sure. about keeping those crystal clear records. Because what's going to happen if, if, if this escalates and you do come to an attorney if you come to us and, you know, this, this, I'm going to be honest, this is what happens more often than not, but I, you know, I'm kind of doing a little bit of a face palm. If you come to us and you have, you know, no records of what happened or your information is all over the place and we're all digging through emails to try to figure out what happened, we're, you know, digging through websites to try to figure out dates of what happened. That's all stuff that's going to be relevant to resolving the dispute, whether, you know, we're mediating or we're in and out of court, whatever. Um, and if I'm spending my time reconstructing the incident, like, <laughs> like a, you know, archaeologist over here, like putting this all together, which is what I spend a lot of time doing, that's money that you're spending. Exactly. I was just going to say that that's more expensive on our ends. It's much more expensive. Yeah. So it's easier to get everything together up front so that you don't have to dig through our issues, basically. Exactly. So, you know, it's it's just a matter of developing those best practices for your business. And that's what's going to save you money over the long term. And I think that would be just a matter of making it a habit because so often I will see something and I'm like, just let it go. And then I think maybe I should write something down and then I don't. So just wiring yourself so that you automatically start logging things like that. And even just like starting a file specifically for that so that it's on your computer and you just have to open it and write stuff down. I think that would be a good practice for all of us to do. I certainly do not do that, but I should. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's also a great way of, you know, if you have all of these notes and these files, it's a good way to get used to understanding, you know, what costs my business money, what doesn't cost my business money, you know, what are the issues that are happening in my business that are actually worth spending money pursuing? What are the things that I do just maybe want to let go? So, And if you have records of that, you can kind of recognize those patterns. What about 
Pinterest because, in fact, just this morning I went through and reported a few people for stealing images. What do you recommend for that? Because I know Pinterest takes down their content. Is there anything beyond that that we should be doing or should we be solely relying on Pinterest to take care of that? The question is, if you're stealing, seeing stolen content on Pinterest, what to do? Consistently. consistently. Like if there, Let's say there's a site that consistently steals your content. So, you know, this does get into a little bit of um, specifics, you know, on a case by case basis. And so, you know, take this as, as general information and not specific, you know, advice for your blog or your particular situation. But platforms like Pinterest often will, you know, evaluate these things on a case by case basis and take it down based on the liability that they think they're going to be exposed to for having stolen content on their website. And I, I do think the first kind of line of defense, as you said, is contacting Pinterest. In terms of what you can do outside of hiring an attorney, you know, again, we're wading into that uh, water of, of course, it's, you know, legal to do a lot of things to try to attempt to solve the problem. You know, you, yeah. <laughs> threaten to, you, can, you can always threaten to sue someone if they're doing something that's genuinely, you know, stealing from you. But you know, is that worth your time and energy? Is that uh, worth trying to do the, you know, two days of research to figure out what court you'd even be filing? You know, it's, of course, those options are legal and (laughs) available to you. But I would encourage you to, yeah, I would encourage all small business owners, again, always keep the records because you never know when it's going to spiral out of control and you do need additional assistance. But at the same time, you know, think about what your time is worth, how much money, you know, how much money are you making per hour of your work blogging versus how much money would you be making per hour of your work researching where to file in small claims court, you know, so it's a it's always a financial decision at the end of the day. Um, and it's important to kind of remember that. Do you recommend documenting every time you report a pin that has been stolen to Pinterest? I mean, should we be getting that detailed? It, it depends. You know, it. I I personally would, you know, I'm a lawyer. I document everything. You know, I have a, I have a five minute conversation with someone on the phone and there's a whole page of notes on oh, it. Wow. Because, but that's, you know, that's what I have to do yeah. to protect yeah. myself and my business. Absolutely. Um, that's smart. I mean, really, right, it is very smart. Right. But, you know, maybe that's not worth it to you. Maybe you, you know, say you're making a couple thousand dollars a month on your blog and you have 50 stolen images popping up on Pinterest per month. I'm totally just spitballing with figures here, but you say, you know, you have 50 stolen images per month popping up on Pinterest and you're, you know, sending some communications, uh, maybe a takedown request to Pinterest to take down how much is that affecting you, you know, financially? How much is that affecting your business? Only you really have the answer to that, if that makes sense. So yes, I, w- I would document everything. And I guess to that point, by documenting everything, you do start to get a sense of how much that's affecting your business. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that you wouldn't have if you weren't. So it's a matter of getting that data over several months and then you know, obviously evaluating it for yourself and consulting a professional to figure out if it's worth it to do anything else. I was just this morning teaching my son who is 12 how to 
uh, first identify my photo. So I was like showing him all of my top content and then going through Pinterest and searching because I have a handful of recipes that consistently get stolen. And I go through them every couple of weeks. It seems like I'm filing complaint forms constantly. I was actually training him to do that. (laughs) And then I had the thought, how sad is this that I'm training him to do something that is like, you know, it's not really effective. It's I could be having him do stuff that is actually making me money or, you know, something worthwhile. I had that kind of dispute in my mind, like, oh, this is going to help. Wait a second. This is... (laughs) This is annoying. <laughs> it, it and I totally understand that and it's it's finding that line. I think but you know, you do also have to remember, you know, doing absolutely nothing may not be the best option because you want to show, you know, and this is something I always want to because I don't want to push people to, to sue people all the time because it's just super expensive, but um but you do want to remember, you know, on the other hand, if you're not making any efforts or recording any efforts to enforce your own copyrights, you know, your own common law, and, you know, under various statutes, rights to your own intellectual property, that doesn't look so great either, um, if there ever becomes a larger dispute, because it you're not demonstrating that you're that you consider that you have these rights, and that you're enforcing them. So it's a fine balance between So really, it is worthwhile. It's, it's worthwhile to document. It's worthwhile to attempt that communication. But I would say when it's coming into a point where it's cutting into how much money you're making doing the thing you're good at, um, and when it's cutting into your mental time and emotional energy and creative um, resources, then it's it's not worth it, right? So it's it's a fine line. You touched kind of at the beginning about contracts and you used the example of working with brands and coming up with a good contract when working with brands. Do you recommend coming up with a more generic contract encompassing all of food blogging or doing it case by case? So I think the answer there is is probably both. Uh, you know, it, it super depends on your individual business model and how you're making your money and Um, everything like that. But I do think that the most cost effective way for most people to do this is to um, speak to an attorney, get uh, a template sort of drafted up for your most common deal or, you know, your most common service that you're offering. And then being sure to very carefully review and modify that contract for similar deals. Um, and you know, it, it won't cost you say it costs a couple hundred dollars to get that first contract drafted, you know, each time it needs to be modified, it'll be less expensive, but it is important to modify it every time. And that's something I do see a lot is that people will purchase either purchase a contract template or purchase a contract drafted from an attorney, and then they won't modify it, even though the deals that they're subsequently doing are different. And that, (laughs) that becomes very messy, but it is something that you can do, uh, relatively affordably uh, once you have that initial contract drafted, if that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of leads to, in your bio, you mentioned that when you first started blogging, one of the first things that you recognized that food bloggers needed was affordable, accessible legal services. So would you mind defining affordable and what is a good rate range for the types of attorneys that we would need to consult? Sure. So obviously, all attorneys rates vary a lot by where you're located um, and the type of 
work that they do. I, I really recommend um, educating yourself on how attorney's fees work. I think that in our additional resources that we uh, talked about, and I think will be um, available to listeners and readers after the show, I, I believe I included a link um, to a, a brief article about legal fees. And it's really important to understand the different types of fees that are available and how they work. I do think that for most bloggers, small business owners, and creatives, an important part of the process is either looking for someone who offers or negotiating a fixed or flat fee. A lot of times you'll go to an attorney and they will say, oh, I charge and, you know, market rates in most localities now are running between two and $500 an hour. So you'll go in and and they'll say, you know, I'm offering this service for say $250 an hour. And that really scares a lot of people into, into frankly, not getting the legal services that they need. But just because someone quotes you that rate, or just because, you know, the first attorney you speak to is offering that rate doesn't mean that a flat rate isn't available. And that, you know, that might not be more affordable 100% of the time, but at least you can budget for it and understand how much it's going to cost. And I think that's very important when you're running a small business. So I, I think kind of, you know, maybe doing a little bit of comparison shopping, knowing that rates are often negotiable, knowing that you can often ask for a flat rate, even if one isn't initially offered to you or shop around for it is going to be really helpful. What if it's just not an option to pay $250 an hour, even $200 an hour? Are there any lower budget options out there? So there are. There are not necessarily that I recommend, but I'll I'll kind of talk a little bit about it because I know a lot of people use those options. I know that contract templates are available in all shapes, sizes, levels of quality online um, for frankly, less than you'd pay an attorney. And I do know that uh, big companies like LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer offer various plans and subscriptions and um, more affordable kind of package deals than you might get from a a local attorney or, for lack of a better word, a regular attorney. And, And I think the important thing to recognize about those services, first of all, most of the time, that's better than nothing, right? Most of the time, you know, if that's what you can afford, go for it. Obviously, it, it might not be the best option, but you got you got to do what you got to do. Um, and I get that. But I do think that it's important to kind of think of it in terms of, you know, in a, a helpful analogy is there are various types of medical services out there, right? So a lot of times if you're using say, I, I believe Rocket Lawyer and LegalZoom both offer something similar where they'll kind of hook you up with an attorney when you have a problem, but it might not be the same attorney every time. You, you kind of get whoever they're contracting with at the moment. It's kind of like if, you, if you've ever used one of those apps that connect you to a random doctor and you video chat and get antibiotics because you have a like an ear infection or something. Yeah, I don't know if right. you've ever used this, but I, I definitely yeah. have when I'm, when I'm traveling. Yes, not absolutely. Be the same quality of service, right? Because sure. if we're using the doctor analogy, you know, they can't get the little light out and look down your throat to figure out, you know, if you have whatever, they can't run the lab work over the video chat. And so the quality of service just isn't going to be as good. Even if the even if the lawyer or doctor or whatever is a good lawyer or doctor, that the quality of the service is necessarily limited by the platform that it's being offered through and the price that you're paying. But that being said, is it better than nothing? Yes. Most of most of the time. 
So those options are out there. I don't necessarily, you know, recommend them. I haven't used them myself. So I obviously like can't speak to the quality of the services on, on that basis as well, but it's often better than nothing. And it's worth doing your research to figure out what kind of services you can get at that lower rate. So you mentioned LegalZoom and Rocket Lawyer. Do you have any other ones um, in mind? I do know there are a couple of um, businesses out there that offer uh, higher quality contract templates. I have not personally worked with them, so I feel kind of uncomfortable vouching for anyone in particular. But if you are looking for contract templates, I would certainly do some comparison shopping, um, see, you know, see if you have any friends in your network who have used any of these services and, and kind of get feedback from them about their experience. And also if you do purchase, say a contract template, that's more affordable, say, you know, a lot of these templates are available for, you know, between 50 and $250, which is going to be a lot cheaper often than having a custom contract uh, drafted, I would see if you can find an attorney who's willing to do a brief consult for a lot less money than you'd pay otherwise to just kind of review those documents for you make sure they're fully customized to your business. And that's a way you can save money as well. Because a lot of times, obviously, people will download contract templates or whatever, you know, sign their name to it and slap it on whatever and right. not read it, which is not ideal either. Um, <laughs> kind of so, counterproductive, right? If you're not little, reading. <laughs> yeah, a little bit not fully effective. So um, yeah, again, th- these aren't ideal options, but I understand a lot of people are bootstrapping at the beginning and oftentimes it is better than no option. So Exactly. And just starting out, I mean, it's good to have it on your mind, but it's not necessarily something you want to spend money on right away. So I can see where especially new bloggers would like to have another option. So once we find an attorney that we trust and who seems to understand the importance of protecting our content, is it important to turn this into an ongoing relationship? And why would you say that it is if it is? Sure. So I I really do think that's one of the most important and beneficial aspects of working with, and I don't want to use the word real attorney because obviously <laughs> all attorneys that are licensed are real attorneys, but looking, working with an attorney that, you know, has an, has an office that you can visit or has a phone number that you can call them every time and develop a relationship. Um, a lot of times that's going to save you a lot of money in the long term because, you're not re-explaining your business to a new person every time. So say, you know, you're using some sort of online service that connects you to a random attorney or what have you. Um, a lot of times you're going to be re-explaining everything that you've explained. That's wasting your time. That's wasting their time. You're spending um, money in legal fees that you might not necessarily need to be spending. Uh, you're, you're spending your own time, which is valuable. You know, you have to think of your time as valuable per hour of shooting uh, photos and cooking recipes and SEO optimizing your blog, that's all money that you're losing when you're spending time doing things that are inefficient. And that kind of goes along with your analogy of the video doctor. If you're reintroducing yourself and your problems to a new video doctor every time, you have to go over that same stuff every time, what your history is and what you're doing, what your goals are. So yeah, I think that's really great advice to just establish a relationship so that you don't have to go over all of the details again and again and again. 
Of course. And there's, there's a reason if you think about it, there's a reason that, uh, a lot of big companies, big corporations have in-house attorneys. It's because they, they want someone who understands the business who they can go to at any time to, you know, work on new contracts, new documents, whatever, get general advice. It's because those people know what's going on and they've been there and they're a partner in their business. They're a, they're a, you know, a, full-fledged member of, of your business team. And I think that that's a, a really important way to think of an attorney, especially if your business is getting larger. Yeah, um, they're invested. They're invested. They're part, they're part of your business. They're, they're a team member. They're an advocate. And I think that a lot of times people can a little bit undervalue that relationship. And, you know, think of if you, if you think about how much value that person can add, a lot of times it's it's more than you expect. Okay, what kind of attorney? Because I, I really know nothing about the legal world whatsoever. So I wouldn't <laughs> even know what to look for or where to look. What kind of attorney would cover food blogging matters? And where would I go to look for an attorney? Sure. So I think that kind of attorney is kind of interesting because it's not like medicine necessarily where, you know, if you are licensed to practice one particular type of thing and you do your residency in one particular type of thing, that's what you do. Uh, a lot of attorneys are a little bit more flexible than that because of the way we're licensed and the way we are trained. Um, so I guess my point is forgive any ambiguity in this answer, but you want to look for someone, if you're a food blogger, you want to look for someone who does intellectual property. So you're going to want to look for someone who is familiar with copyrights, trademarks, things like that, um, because you're going to want to protect you know, your photos, your writing, your, um, your brand, your logo, everything like that. And that's all in the copyright and trademark world for the most part. So that's that. And then you're also going to want to look for, and this, a lot of attorneys will do both. Um, but sometimes you'll have to go to two different people depending on where you're located. Um, you're also going to want someone who is familiar with the more transactional aspects of your business. So that's going to be everything from, registering your business in state, getting you any business licenses that you need, drafting contracts, uh, you know, anything involved in the formation or dissolution of your business, partnership agreements. Um, and that's more of a transactional attorney. So a lot of um, attorneys now that the, the blogosphere exists, kind of recognize those two things kind of go together. And a lot of people need both of those things at the same time. I'm one of them. <laughs> but uh, so there are a lot of attorneys doing both. Sometimes you, you do need um, kind of experts in those separate fields, depending on your needs, who's in your jurisdiction, uh, things like that. And I, you know, I would honestly, I, it's kind of the same with everything. I just kind of use the internet. I, <laughs> it's kind of the best place to find people. I would certainly recommend doing your homework. Um, there's a lot of different websites. Now, if you look on AVO, that's A-V-V-O. Uh, that's a big directory of attorneys. You can read review. It's sort of like Yelp for attorneys. That's might be an important place to check if you are looking for an attorney. But yeah, generally speaking, you're going to want to Google attorneys. You're going to want to look primarily in your jurisdiction. So if you're in the United States, look for an attorney in the state that you live in, especially if you're dealing with registering your business in state, that, that can be important. A lot of attorneys will practice across state lines when it comes to trademarks and copyrights and privacy policies and, you know, th things that affect you nationwide or internationally. But um, when it comes to your actual business setup or dispute resolution, you're going to want to look in your jurisdiction. 
So yeah, that's that's where I would start. That's very good advice because I would not have known any of those keywords. So uh, intellectual property, trademarks, and then also looking for transactional aspects of the business. Right. Contracts, commercial. Commercial is a, a word that comes up a lot in that space. And also, you know, if I know that the online privacy is becoming a big issue as well. And I, I don't want to neglect to mention that. Uh, so someone who works sort of in the privacy space, oftentimes that will overlap with intellectual property. So those are the, the, the big keywords. Great information. Awesome. So we've covered a lot about things that we should discuss with lawyers. Are there any topics that should remain off limits? I'm going to say this extremely bluntly is not treat your lawyer like a therapist. And a lot of us, you know, a lot of I, I genuinely enjoy helping people with their problems. I really do uh, with their with their business issues and, you know, the disputes that they're in. But it's it's expensive, right? <laughs> if you're if, if someone's charging you $250 an hour, you want to be cognizant of the fact that you are investing in a service for your business and you're hoping to either recover some money that you lost, prevent yourself from losing money you're trying to protect your assets. This is a financial concern. These are financial transactions. So it's really, really, really important to um, focus on the business aspect of your business. It's okay to get emotional about your work. It's okay to feel attached to you know, your photographs, your creativity, but you want to focus on the money you are attempting to keep or recover. Um, a lot of people will come into attorneys and they'll either be like venting about an employee or a contractor, or they'll be trying to, you know, sue someone for the sake of putting them in their place, or they'll be trying to pursue legal action on principle or, you know, for their concept of fairness. And it's not always the most productive use of your time is, is, is what, and, and again, a lot of attorneys are very kind, warm people, and they will listen to your problems, but they're going to be charging you for it. So keep that in mind. <laughs> it's where I see people spend wasting a lot of money. Yeah. I think that is great advice because so many food bloggers have been in that emotional spot where we're either just like super frustrated or just angry when someone steals a recipe or a photo or both and claim them as their own or when we've gotten fed up with a brand who has mistreated us, whatever the situation, it's important to remember that all of this stuff is unfortunately a part of the job and some of it we just need to shrug off and not take personally. And if you need to go hire a therapist to get over, you know, do that. But we don't need to vent to our lawyers about personal matters or hurt feelings, basically. Right, right. And you can. We'll listen to you. Sure. <laughs> but it's, you know. But you're expensive. expensive so, <laughs> but there's definitely a line between letting things go and taking legal action. Like, I think some things we just need to let go and some things are worth consulting an attorney about. Yeah. So I think that was a really great piece of advice. Before we kind of recap our chat, do you have anything else that we've missed about legal and food blogging and our discussion? Sure. So I, I think one thing that I'm running through my mind that I neglected to mention that I think is super, super important for people just starting out. Oftentimes, 
in your particular jurisdiction, there will be free or low cost legal services available for creatives. So I would encourage you to look for free and reduced cost legal clinics for artists and small businesses in your area. You know, if that's something that's a concern for you, um, you can do that usually by Googling uh, your state bar association and small business or small business owner. Uh, Oftentimes legal clinics in your area will be available for free or reduced cost. And um, also a lot of states at this point have associations of volunteer lawyers for the arts. So, for example, I'm uh, licensed in Maryland and Maryland has uh, Maryland Volunteer Lawyers for the Arts. And they'll oftentimes um, offer clinics for artists and creatives that may be open to bloggers. um, And they'll help you with copyright disputes or registering a copyright, things like that. So um, I did want to make sure I mentioned that uh, there are many options for free and reduced cost legal services in many localities. Wow. Who knew? I just Googled Minnesota Bar Association small business advice and tons of options just came up. I am blown away. So, I mean, that would be another option at least to look into a viable option. Yes. And, you know, again, it's it's a little bit more difficult sometimes with those types of options to maintain an ongoing relationship and get the most cost time efficient service in terms of, you know, working on your own work. But it for a lot of people who are just starting out on a bootstrap budget, which is, you know, I think, frankly, most food bloggers, it's a great place to start. So didn't want to forget to mention that. Yeah, another great piece of advice. Thank you. Of course. So let's wrap up our chat. I'm just going to do a quick recap for food bloggers. So it is smart to consult with an attorney before legal issues arise, because then it can get way more messy. If you purchase contract templates, that's fine, but it's still a good idea to have a lawyer review them. Preferably maintain an ongoing relationship with a lawyer who understands your business and keep good records. I think that's my one of my main takeaways today is that I'm going to start keeping better records of all blog-related issues. <laughs> I'm converting you. <laughs> yes, you are. Um, find a good accountant and treat your blog like a business and remember that attorneys are not here to listen to venting and that their only interest is the health of your blog. And then also the searching for free and reduced cost legal services and advice by Googling your state bar association, small business advice is a great one too. So, wow, I have learned a ton today, Lauren, seriously, that was, that was really informative. So thank you so much for being here. I know that my listeners are going to find value in this as well. I'm so glad. And it was just such a, yeah, it was such a pleasure to talk to you today. So thanks. Thank you so much. Before you go, I would love it if you would share a favorite quote or just any words of inspiration for our fellow food bloggers. Uh, Sure. So I think that, you know, as an attorney and as someone who is very uh, generally risk averse, this is something that I need to constantly remind myself, especially when I'm doing my own creative work, whether that's food blogging or doing marketing for my legal business, is that it's okay to just get started. You know, as especially as someone who, you know, has worked with businesses in every type of bad situation you can imagine, it's easy to get really fearful. And, I, you know, that's something I hope that I'm not conveying when I talk to small business owners um, and, you know, bloggers in particular. So just get started. It's, you know, it's okay. Most of the time, this is going to work itself out. Use caution and be aware, but 
just get started. And most of the time, once we dig in, we realize that we were afraid for no reason. So it really is good advice to just dig in, get started. Yes. Lauren has a list of favorite resources relating to legal services and how this topic relates to food blogging. So these can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Lauren A. Lauren is spelled L-A-U-R-E-N. Lauren, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Sure. So if you're looking for my food blog, that's protopantry.com. If you're looking for my um, small business and creatives and entrepreneurs community and legal services, that's at laurenagresti.com. That's my first name and my last name.com. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening today, food bloggers, and I'll catch you next time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.